Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I want to tell you about Operation Plumbob, a series of nuclear tests that was carried out by the United States back in 1957. And this, of course, was at a point in history when the US and the USSR were absolutely bloody raw-dogging the nuclear arms race, going after nuclear supremacy like the clappers they were. And naturally, this involved a lot of testing of the nukes that they were building. You can hear a much more complete history of nuclear weapons in episode 197, Get Across It. But today, we're going to be talking about these tests in particular that made up Operation Plumbob, because they involve some pretty silly stuff. And, you know, silliness is always something that you want involved in nuclear weapons testing. Anyway, back in 1957, the US uh, is still conducting atmospheric nuclear tests, uh, blowing up nukes above ground, in other words, rather than just underground, as was the case after 1963, when atmospheric tests were banned, also banned them underwater and in space, just in case people started to get creative with where they could let these bombs off. Anyway, Operation Plumbob came along after Project 57. That was the, uh, the series of nuclear tests that went before it. And then the ones that came after it were known as Project 58. So, don't know what's going on with this this uh, this naming convention situation here. Maybe Operation Plumbob was a, a spin-off series. Who knows? Anyway, it involved the detonation of just under 30 nuclear bombs. Most of them were warheads designed for use with missiles. Some of them were used uh, some of them were designed for use in air defense and even as anti-submarine weapons, which is just ridiculous when you think about it. Imagine shooting a nuke at a submarine. Unbelievable. Anyway, one of the really interesting aspects of this operation um, was the fact that they were testing the effect of these nukes, not, not just on buildings and aircraft and even animals, but also, as we'll come to, people. Yes, people. We'll come, we'll, we'll, we'll come to that in a little bit. Don't you worry. But let's talk about the other stuff first, right? The Americans way out in the, in the Nevada desert, they built all sorts of structures and buildings, right, D- designed to test what would happen when a nuclear bomb, when the explosion from a nuclear bomb hit them, uh, and then detonated nukes n- near these buildings, again, just to just to see what would happen. I mean, it sounds like they were kind of mucking around, just having fun, but given the very real threat of nuclear Armageddon, uh, given that was a you know, a pressing pol- political concern for people back in the 50s and 60s. It did give the US uh, very valuable data as to what could be done to potentially mitigate the effects of a nuclear blast in terms of construction techniques and how buildings were built. The long and the short of it in terms of what can be done is this. 
not very much, but it was worth testing, I suppose, and so that's what they did. Um, they also tested the effects of nuclear explosions on animals as well. They used over 1,000 pigs in their nuclear tests as part of Operation Plum Bob. They would position these poor pigs at different distances from the explosion to see how proximity affected the damage done by a nuke uh, and shielded these pigs with various materials. And you might be thinking, okay, sure, they put them in houses or offices or something like that. No. What I mean by this is that they dressed these poor piggies up in different clothing types. They made special pig-shaped suits and put the pigs in them to see what sort of protection you might get from what you're wearing when a nuke goes off. Again, the short answer to that is not very much. So these poor pigs, they were dressed up. They were herded into raised cages so they'd, they'd you know, absorb the full brunt of the blast, basically, and then then they'd set off a nuke and just see what happens. Some of these poor pigs roasted to bacon on the spot. Others were killed by flying debris, but actually most of them survived. They were far enough away that they survived. Um, I say they survived. They did, technically speaking, with horrific burns to most of their bodies, these, these poor animals. Pretty grim, right? But it gets worse because, as I mentioned before, the Americans also tested these weapons in the vicinity of people as well. Between 16,000 and 18,000 troops were used as part of Operation Plum Bob in all sorts of different capacities. But for the most part, right, this is what happened. The US staged training exercises. They conducted training exercises with active servicemen, right, while these nukes were being set off in the distance. None of the soldiers were killed directly by the blast or anything like that. But the researchers were keen to see, for instance, how a helicopter airlift exercise would go if a nuke suddenly went off on the horizon halfway through it. These tests weren't just physical and logistical. These tests were psychological too. The US wanted to know what the mental and emotional impact of fighting on a tactical nuclear battlefield looked like. Imagine this, right? You're a GI, oh, being sent off to Nevada, right? Some training exercises, oh, lovely. Nice and cruisy, bit of sun, enjoy the desert heat for a while. And then while you're going through the motions in these exercises, a bloody nuke goes off. These poor bastards. I mean, no one was killed directly, as I said, but it's not as if these soldiers weren't being put in harm's way all the same. Years later, in the 1980s, it was found that the soldiers in these training exercises were, surprise, surprise, much more susceptible to leukaemia than the average person. So, you know, that's nice for them. It's pretty bloody diabolical, really. The US, they wanted to know what their troops would be in for if they were fighting while nukes were going off. And so this is what they tried to find out. The Desert Rock exercises, as they're known, they attempted to find this out. Operation Plumbob is infamous as a result, as the largest scale field testing of nuclear weapons that involved live troop exercises. But that's not the only thing that it's infamous for either, because at one point, right, for one of these tests, check this out, they had, they got five blokes, had five men, and they had them stand, you, you're not going to believe this, they had these five men stand directly under where a bomb was detonated. A nuclear warhead was detonated six kilometres in the air and at the ground zero, the point directly underneath the blast, five blokes were just told to go and, you know, just hang out, just chill, just just sit around and wait while a nuke went off above their heads. This test was done with a practical purpose in mind. It was done to see if aerial nukes could be detonated without harming civilian popula populations down below on the ground. Remember, I said before, they were testing nukes as, as, as part of their air defences. And look, as ridiculous as this sounds, 
These blokes didn't just live to tell the tale, they lived into the 1990s and beyond. One of them one of them made it all the way to 2014, but still, can you imagine that? All right, you blokes, just go and stand in the middle of the desert. If there's a big bang and a bright light above you, that's ah, fine, mate. It's all, it's all part of the exercise. Just, just go and sit and chill out. You, you, you'll, you'll be fine. Anyway, these atmospheric tests, you won't be surprised to learn, dumped a colossal amount of radiation into the atmosphere. Over 58,000 kilocuries of radioiodine. Although that doesn't help us all that much because I don't know I don't know how many kilocuries of iodine it's safe to be exposed to, although I will take a guess here and say that it is probably zero. That would probably be my guess. Zero kilocuries is probably good for you. But look, there's one there's one final thing I want to talk about here. One final thing I want to tell you about Operation Plumbob before we wrap up. And uh, happily, this story doesn't involve roasting pigs with nuclear hellfire or detonating nukes right above the heads of living servicemen. But uh, have a listen to this because it's a pretty good story. You might have actually already heard uh, of this of this part of the story of Operation Plumbob. It is perhaps the most famous aspect of the operation, the affair of the manhole cover. As I said before, in 1963, a new nuclear test ban treaty would ban all atmospheric nuclear tests, forcing nations like the United States to test their nukes underground. But this treaty is still six years off, right? It hasn't come into, hasn't come into force yet, so nations are still free to blow up nukes in the open air. But all the same, Operation Plum Bob actually involved the world's first ever underground nuclear test anyway. They were checking to see if these tests could indeed be done underground at all. As part of Operation Plum Bob, a 150-metre hole was bored straight down into the ground and a nuke called Pascal A was lowered into it and then detonated. And it blew up with a force much greater than anyone was expecting, uh, 50,000 times greater, in fact, which caused a great jet of fire to blast out of the hole and way, way up into the sky. So, oh, what fun. Have a look at this. The Americans, they decided to run it back. That was brilliant. Let's do that again. But this time, they decide to put a steel cap on top of the hole. This cap is often referred to as a manhole cover. It, it, it really wasn't. It looked like one. It was a large disc of metal, but it weighed 900 kilograms and it was welded on top of the borehole after the second nuke Pascal B had been lowered in. And they don't, as far as I know, they don't tend to weld manholes closed when they put the covers on, although I'm not an expert on these, uh, on these matters. Anyway... The bloke in charge of the test, Dr. Robert Brownlee, he predicted that the welded cap that had been put on top of the hole would do absolutely bugger all uh, to contain the blast, but they popped it on anyway. Well, well, look, we may as well see what happens, right? So the uh, the nukes load in, Pascal B, the, the cap is welded on the top, and then they go ahead and detonate the bomb. Kaboom. And then when they check the borehole to see what happens, oh, what's this? The cap has completely disappeared and what's more it was never found you can imagine there you know the size of their long their, their long white coats scratching their head jeez well, i can't have gone too far look spread out you blokes we'll, we'll, we'll search the desert around here it's, it's probably not too far away but no no listen to this what had happened to the cap was a complete mystery and the scientists did investigate i don't know if they actually searched the desert for it but they did try to find out what happened right and they did this by examining the footage that had been taken of the hole itself during the detonation. You can go online and find this footage. It's online, free for you to watch. It was filmed at 1,000 frames per second, right? 
to put things in context, usually when we film things today on our phones or whatever, we film at between 30 and 60 frames per second, maybe 120, but usually not. So this one is going at 1,000 frames per second. That's one frame per millisecond. And if you watch this video in one frame, the cap is there. And then two frames later, right, two milliseconds later, it's gone. And in that one frame, in the middle of those two frames, that one frame between it being there and not being there, you can see the cap flying off the top of the hole at a speed you are not going to be able to wrap your head around. They calculated that the cap flew off the hole at 66 kilometres per second. That is 240,000 kilometres an hour, 150 miles per hour. To put that number in perspective, Earth's escape velocity, right, how fast you have to be travelling to be launched into space, is just over 40,000 kilometres an hour. This steel cap was travelling at six times the escape velocity of Earth. If it had been pointing at the moon, it would have arrived in an hour and a half. As it flew off the top of this hole, this 900 kilogram steel cap became the fastest human-made object in history. And it wasn't overtaken until NASA started sending probes to the sun decades later. However, before we get too excited, imagining this cap flying off through the solar system and crashing through some poor alien's roof halfway across the galaxy, I do have to rain on the parade a little bit here because it is overwhelmingly likely that the cap just disintegrated as it blasted through the atmosphere at this impossible speed. Sadly, the cap was probably just vaporised before it reached space. But all the same, for the time up until its disintegration, it was the fastest object in human history. But just imagine if it weren't vaporised. Imagine if it did make it to space. We would never have to launch a rocket ever again. Don't, don't worry about it. Bloody NASA, calm down. SpaceX, forget about all that. If you need to get someone up to the International Space Station, just stick them on a manhole. Let off a bloody nuke underneath it and they'll arrive at the ISS just six seconds later. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.